You're listening to the David Bumble Networking Podcast. Very good day interviewing a lot of Cisco engineers. We discuss all things networking, CCNA, CCNP, CCIE, Python, automation, the books, the exams, the future, your career. Another long day at Cisco Live. We talk to the authors, the experts, the leaders, and people like you and me. David Bumble coming to you from Oxford in the United Kingdom. Now, here's your host, David Bumble. Hey everyone, it's David Bumble coming to you from Oxford in the United Kingdom. Really excited to have a very special guest with me today, Ivan Pepelniak. And Ivan, you need to forgive me, I probably pronounced it all wrong. So could you no, introduce yourself? Pro- oh, great. So could you tell us a bit about yourself before I start raving about you? A uh, long story or short story? Uh, medium story. Let's try that. Okay. Uh, I'm a grumpy old guy, as you all know me. Uh, I've been in networking literally the whole of my life. I described the early steps uh, somewhere on my website. It was RS-232 between Z80 machines wired together, and uh, we were doing file sharing over that. And not just file sharing, like transferring files, if anyone remembers Kermit, the file transfer program. Now, you're way before our time, I think. You've got to tell us, is that in the 80s or way, way, way? That's that... 80s. Yeah. That would be early 80s, yeah. Uh, we, we actually had disk sharing and file sharing, so you could say file to uh, disk on another machine. On RS-232, which was in those days 100-something kilobits. Wow. For those of you who can still spell kilobits. <laughs> so, Ivan, I mean, I, I remember reading your books. I mean, you've, you've helped me a lot in my career. Mm-hmm. I remember reading your books about uh, EIGRP and MPLS. I mean, that's quite a long time ago. I mean, you've been in Cisco for a long time as well. Well, I've never been in Cisco. I mean, like Cisco technology, should I say? Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, Yeah, we started working with Cisco in, uh, I think, 1990, 91, maybe. Yeah. And the first Cisco box I encountered was really a blade for a Cabletron hub if anyone can still spell Cabletron. <laughs> no, I think for a lot of people watching that, that's before our time. Yeah. Oh, Cabletron CEO was an interesting person. Supposedly he had this huge wrench and tanks on it and he was driving around with his tanks. <laughs> or so the story goes. Uh, anyway, that thingy was running iOS release 8.2. 8.2, wow, that's yeah, a long uh, time ago. And that was a thing that had no help. So you would try conf T and there would be a blinking cursor staring back at you. No yes, prompt, no help, no nothing. So, I mean, Ivan, I want to ask you now, because mm-hmm. you've been in this game for, for a long time. And what's really amazing is you've kept up and you're providing a lot of advice on your on your website. And I must say this to everyone. Ivan's got his, his, his website name listed above him or behind him. Mm-hmm. IPspace.net is a fantastic resource. And I strongly recommend that if you want to learn about emerging technologies or like get the opinions of a grumpy old engineer, <laughs> subscribe. It's well worth it. Ivan carries a lot or has a lot of information there. But Ivan, give us a bit of an overview of what IP Space is about because I'm probably doing a bad job. It all started as an experiment years ago when, you know, I was semi-retired and then I got back into blogging and writing about technology. And I always wanted to explain how to use these interesting bits that uh, no one would ever explain to you. Yeah. You know, you look at Cisco iOS, let's say, documentation, it has a gazillion features. 
and you go to any Cisco course and they cover like 20% of those features. Yeah. So obviously the other 80% of the features is useful to someone or they wouldn't be there. I mean, Cisco stopped uh, adding things to iOS just because it was fun probably 25 years ago. Oh, I could tell you about early days. That was fun. Oh, you got to tell us tell us one story. Come on, one story. Oh, uh, you do know that before IPv6, there was this thing called Tuba. Tuba. I've heard of IPX and Apple Talk. I've worked with those. No, IPX not... was Novell, and Apple Talk was between Apple computers. And you, you've heard of OSI and CLNS, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we were running TCP and UDP over that. Oh, wow. And uh, that code, I think, is still in iOS. So if you telnet to an OSI address, you can still telnet to that box. That's interesting. Yeah, I've, I've worked a little bit with CLNS, but I think, yeah. uh, you know, it's be a lot of the stuff that you're talking about is even before my time. Yeah, well, uh, this is these are things that are best forgotten. <laughs> but anyway, so there but, are all these features. But tell us about IBSpace. Sorry, go on. Yeah, and uh, no one is describing what they do. And I said, well, you know, why don't I write about how to use these odd bits and pieces? Because no one ever wanted to invest into anyone developing any proper training on that. Yeah. And so it started and people started following me. And uh, then I got invited to networking field day. Yeah. And in those days, I was like 110% Cisco. Uh, I mean, even my Twitter handle reflects that. Hey, what's your Twitter handle? You might, you might uh, as well share it now. Well, it's iOS hints. There we go. And uh, it doesn't have to do with the more popular iOS. This is the iOS before iOS. <laughs> as, in, as in like not, some, not something to do with an apple, is that right? Yeah, nothing, not, nothing fruit-like. <laughs> it's all bridging and stuff. I've, I've kind of worked with that iOS, so I, I kind of know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, and uh, there they exposed me to, you know, uh, Arista and yeah. Forstan and uh, Juniper. And I figured out that, you know, writing about just one vendor doesn't make sense because doing that, you're just serving that vendor. Yeah, exactly. You're free marketing for them. Thank you. I'm not getting paid. Okay, let's move on. Uh, so I tried to become as vendor neutral as possible and comparing what different vendors are doing. And this is like the majority of what I do today. And then, of course, as you start doing that, you figure out that 80% of the what they tell us is really glorified crap uh, with occasional lies mixed in. That's what I love about you. And I'm so glad that you're putting it like that. Go on. And uh, I started debunking that. So the vendors would come out with this great story how, you know, this great thing will do these great things for you. And it's my job to just point out that, you know, sorry, this emperor is as naked as your previous one. Try again. Yeah, and I, I, I've got to throw this in. I know your favorite is, is let me guess, distributed data centers across bridge networks or something. That's oh, yes, really like. I love that one. That's your favorite one at the moment, <laughs> I think. Well, no, that's been my favorite for the last 10 years. Yeah. Uh, what would be today? Oh, there's SDN. Oh yes, yeah. So let's let's. Um, I wanted to talk to you about your other favorite. Well, I, I keep saying favorite. It's just what I've seen. Like your other favorite protocol, OpenFlow. But um, oh, perhaps, that one. Perhaps before we get into like debunking SDN and and I mean again, everyone, this is what I love about Ivan. He doesn't mince his words. Um, he calls a spade a spade, and I think that's why it's really important to you know follow him on Twitter. 
And, and I mean, I, Ivan, I'm not punning you for any other reason that I, I respect you. So um, I think if you want to get the truth, you know, follow Ivan um, and listen to what he says, because I love, I love the way that you just say it as it is. But let's, before we get to that, you've been in this game for a long time. In the past, Cisco used to have this like clear path, CCNA, CCMP, CCIE. And you've got to tell us when you got your CCIE as well. But I mean, if you were starting today, Ooh. yeah, well, it's just to show that you've been in this for a long time. If you were starting today, like a young person, because a lot of the people perhaps listening to this are, are new to the industry, you know, are unsure, especially with this SDN hype, programmability hype. Uh, so tell us, like, when did you get your CCIE and what would you recommend? What would you do today based on your experience? Well, uh, I don't know when I got it, but the number is 1300 something. Yeah, long time ago. So, yeah, it was before 2000. Yeah. Um, as for what I would do, well, you see, first you have to figure out for yourself whether you want to be a specialist or you want to be a generalist. Yeah. So if you decide that you want to specialize in networking, as opposed to being, I don't know, full stack engineer, whatever that means. A programmer that can spell TCP, let's put it this way. Yeah, I like that. Uh, uh, so if you decide to go into networking, then yes, the certifications still have a lot of, uh, let's call it guidance value. Yeah. Because they tell you what are the things that some people at some point in time thought you would desperately need to know to be good in uh, whatever it is you're doing. Uh, do keep in mind that uh, all certifications are obviously vendor focused. So yes, CCNA will tell you a lot about networking and it will tell you what TCP is and what subnets are and what access control lists are and how the subnet masks work and how, do they still mention RIP? Uh, they do, yes. I had, it's okay, funny, so, I, I had guys giving me a hard time about RIP. Yeah. Just the other so day. how RIP and OSPF yeah. works and all that stuff. But of course, it will all be Cisco focused. So they will uh, discuss things from Cisco's perspective. They will praise features that only Cisco has. They will never, ever mention a feature that Cisco never implemented. And you will work with uh, Cisco configuration syntax, yeah. which isn't like the most recent uh, configuration syntax invented. Uh, a historical lesson for anyone who wanted to know that the root of the current iOS parser with the context sensitive help and all that was the software that Terry Slattery, the second CCIE worldwide, wrote for Cisco in 1990 something. Oh, wow. Uh, it just kept going. And the syntax is older than that. The syntax is from mid 80s. Wow. But everyone is using that. So it's now called industry standard CLI, unless you're Arista, in which case Cisco sues you. Yep. Uh, anyway, so keep in mind that there is bias, that the bias is intentional because uh, after all, the certifications are marketing machinery for the vendor. Yeah. So go into this with your eyes wide open. Uh, however, just because you are working on your CCNA or something doesn't mean that you shouldn't be studying a vendor neutral stuff. So even if you study for CCNA, why don't you set up Cumulus Linux on uh, a virtual machine and build your, build your virtual lab with Linux boxes? Why should you build your virtual lab with Cisco boxes? 
and configure that because I mean rip is rip there are different ways of configuring rip but getting grip to work between cumulus and Cisco why not you learn something new so the long-term market value of your knowledge will obviously be higher if you you know don't focus just on Cisco but uh, can do things on Cisco and Juniper and Arista and Cumulus and whoever else I mean microtic maybe okay whoever uh, because that will emphasize that you understand how things work not just how you type in the commands to configure things so always try to do that. Always try to focus on how things work and why things work the way they work. Always try to figure out the trade-offs that they had to make to implement things exactly the way they are implemented. Because honestly, most of the people doing this stuff aren't stupid. I mean, we like to call them stupid, but they are uh, marketing-driven. So they have to implement whatever some marketing wizard tells them to implement, even though they might hate that personally, but yeah. they're not stupid. They do stuff for a reason. So whenever things work a certain way, there's usually a good reason. And that reason might be 20 years old. That reason might be Motorola 68,000 CPU clocked at two megahertz and uh, having 64K of RAM, but you know, there's a reason that OSPF is what it is. Yeah. And so as you progress through the certifications, you'll automatically, by accident, learn networking. And honestly, networking hasn't changed in the last 40 years. There have been tweaks to address length. It's called IPv6. There have been tweaks to uh, how TCP does congestion control. TCP header hasn't changed in ages. Bridging hasn't changed forever. We still have transparent bridging that I was very familiar with in 1985. So you take a networking engineer from 1985 and uh, you transport him to 2019 and you show him a Wireshark trace, he'll feel at home. Yeah, it's a good point. So if you master, and, and this thing is so bloody ossified that uh, we can't change anything because the moment you try to change something uh, there is a gazillion endpoints that will be broken yeah so you can't do that so whatever you will learn about networking will still be valid 20 years from now i'm glad you said that i mean just imagine there are still people writing COBOL applications for ibm mainframes yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny that you say that. I just, I, I yeah. posted some, some IPv4 questions on Twitter the other day, and I had a lot of guys give me a hard time. Oh, IPv4 is dead. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you said what you said. Uh, well, I would wish for IPv4 to be dead. Yeah. Uh, but 20 years from now, you will have this EKG machine that will only speak IPv4, and it will run Windows XP. Yeah, it's a good point. Very good point. So in other words, you saying if someone wants to be a network engineer, kind of like a traditional, I don't know how, what you want to put it, like a, a traditional network engineer, certifications like CCNA, mm -hmm. CCMP, CCIE are still valid. Is that is that what you're saying? Yes. Well, I mean, there are multiple aspects of certifications, as you know. Yeah. Uh, you could go into a certification because you want to increase your market value. 
And how long will that stay valid? I have no idea. Just, you know, track job postings, figure it out for yourself. Uh, or you might have to do certifications because HR departments don't want to deal with 100 applicants. So they just use buzzwords as filter to filter out the, you know, whatever is coming in. So uh, you might need certifications just to pass the filter. Yeah. Or you might actually want to know something, which is the type of person I love because they do things because they want to know things. And uh, as I said, for this last type of people, certification is a nice guidance. This is what we think you might need to know. So when you started, you said, you said if you want to be a network engineer, your certifications are okay. But then you kind of like, I was waiting for you to say if you want to do something else. So did you have something else you were thinking about? Well, uh, you see, you, do, you have to keep in mind that networking stopped being sexy years ago. I mean, if you are 25 years old and you are in a pub and you go like, I'm a networking engineer, everyone was like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> you, work with, you, think... you work with plumbing then, in other words. Exactly. You are a glorified plumber. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, that, that, that's what I say, but it's not a good analogy. Yep. Um, I think power transmission is a better analogy. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, power transmission is an incredibly complex topic. And as they go into, you know, these autonomous grids and everything being software controlled and uh, you have to calculate the loads all across Europe and all that stuff. I mean, I can't even tell you what the problems are in power transmission. But even without understanding anything, it's obvious it's incredibly complex. Yeah. But you expect it but, to be on. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, and the only thing you'll do is you'll complain if you don't get the power. Yeah. Uh, but the point is that uh, you don't need a power transmission engineer in every village. You need a few of them per country or per, uh, you know, yeah, regional, whatever facility yeah. or regional distribution or whatever. And networking is becoming exactly like that. So you won't need a networking engineer in every SMB because hopefully they will move to the cloud and they will be left with one switch that someone can provision with GUI and hopefully it will work or not. And if it won't work, they'll just take the hammer and do their job and go to Best Buy, whatever it's called in UK, and buy a new one. Yeah. If you take a look at what people were doing with laptops years ago, you would mess up something in your DOS. Remember DOS, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And there would be someone who would actually go into config.sys and fix the stuff for you and uh, would do some miracles. And after 30 minutes, your machine would be like new. Yeah. What did they tell you today? Oh, we'll just reformat it. You did have backups, right? <laughs> or Apple, just buy another one. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, and uh, obviously, you can't do this in any serious uh environment for networking you can just reformat yeah. a campus network well yeah people have been doing that but let's not go there <laughs> um, but in smaller environment in like remote offices or uh, i don't know companies with 50 people who cares i mean networking for them is they think it's commodity like plumbing and water and electricity but you know Honestly, if they would be without water or electricity or plumbing or networking, they, they, they could just 
close up and go home. They have no idea what infrastructure they need to run their business. So, Ivan, you, 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 from what you're saying to me, well, what I'm thinking, what I, what I think you're saying is um, there will be fewer jobs for network people. Is that right? Or do you, yes. do, you, do you think that networking is still a great career for someone who's starting? But they, it's it's kind of like getting split. You're getting these like really high-end network engineers. Is that what you're saying, or what do you? Yeah. Want? Well, I call this the bifurcation of knowledge, and it's happening everywhere. Yeah. I mean, so can you uh, can you explain that in in like? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, when I was studying, I would actually know what a transistor is. I would know what CMOS gate is. I would be theoretically maybe even able to design silicon. I would be definitely able, and I did that to design a computer. Yeah, and I wire wrapped my own computer. And there were like maybe twenty percent of us at uh, university. And this is bachelor degree, not not uh, some high end degree, that would be able to do that. How many people can do that today? Uh, very few. Yeah, exactly. And you don't need them. No. Uh, next one, when we were young, you know, we would write in assembly language or maybe C or Pascal, and uh, I even wrote my own compiler because I hated the, you know, verbosity of all the stuff that I had to do, and if. You know, it's like automation. If you have to do the same thing over and over and over again, you get sort of sick and tired of that. You write a script or whatever that does the job for you. Oh, yeah. And I just did that. I just created my own programming language that allowed me to program my stuff way faster. But the point is that in those days, uh, you got enough knowledge at uh, graduate level university courses that you could go and write a compiler. How many people could do that today? Uh, very few again. Exactly. Or the operating system. I mean, we wrote our own operating system just for the fun of it. So you see that happening in networking, basically, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Uh, like Ethernet. How many people can explain to you how Ethernet really works? Yeah. I mean, we all know it's a cable. You plug it in. It, either the, the lights come on, up or the lights don't come up. And if the lights don't come up, you just keep changing things until it works. Yeah. If it's badly broken, no one has any idea how it really works. Apart from like the five people who designed the chipsets. So, are you saying like I mean we can let's let's transition to this SDN discussion then? Is it, are you saying that the jobs are going to be fewer, but the, you're going to have to be more technical or more clued up to to get somewhere in networking? Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, let's just say that the low end jobs will disappear. Yeah, I mean if you see because uh, you know what we call call engineers are just glorified operators yeah. in many cases. Yeah. Just go and look the definition of engineer on Wikipedia. That's my pet peeve, by the way. Uh, engineer is someone who is supposed to be using scientific principles and knowledge he gained and experience to design new stuff based on whatever. I mean, do we do any of what I just mentioned in this sentence? No. Exactly. So, so I don't want to. I don't want to sound negative, but tell me now. After what you've just said, do you still recommend networking for someone, or would you recommend programming? Uh, well, I've been doing both uh, my whole life. Yeah, I mean, you know, you always, if you want to be good, you have to understand what people around you are doing. Yeah. So, if you want to be an awesome programmer. You have to understand networking. 
yeah. like uh, what was that guy's name Ilya Grigorik from uh, Google yeah. he wrote this book on high performance web browser or something and uh, you know he was explaining how you can get a web page to load in under one second on a mobile phone and uh, while explaining that he had to go down to the details of how radio towers and mobile phones communicate wow. and why you get a hundred millisecond latency just on that one hop but that's the level of detail you have to master if you want to do your stuff right i mean if you're a car designer or an engineer working on a i don't know formula one engine you better understand the laws of physics right yeah the same with networking. So if you want to be a really cool programmer, you better know how networking works. And likewise, if you want to be a really cool networking engineer, you better know how to write the tools that the vendors will never write for you because, you know, they can't make money off them. So there is no black and white like, uh, I mean, we had the black and white silos forever just because the managers couldn't control us otherwise. No, honestly, the silos are here right. purely for strict responsibilities. No, you're right. Uh, this is the. I, I just like the way you put things. It's I, I love it. Go on. Yeah, and so forget the silos. You have to understand what the guy sitting left of you and right of you is doing. Yeah, and you have to know enough about what he's doing to understand what he's telling you when he's telling you something in you know his acronym language. And that's what I'm trying to do with my webinars, educating networking engineers how storage works, how virtualization works, how automation works, layer one, layer two transmission a bit. Uh, we did one in uh, on switch buffers. So, you know, yeah. how does packet switching really works? You need to understand all that. So I know on your website, you've got uh, this automation course. Um, so could you tell us a bit about that and then in jest, tell me about your favorite protocol, OpenFlow. Probably people can't see the sarcasm tag, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, but let's start with the automation course. Um, years ago, this... Uh, okay, let's start with SDN. Years yep. ago, this SDN stuff exploded, and we'll go into that in a minute. And after a few years of me creating SDN webinars and running SDN workshops, which were really just vaccination against this latest craziness... I figured out that uh, network automation is real and it's good and uh, it makes sense, but people have no idea where to start. So we started by creating this series of webinars that uh, describe the basics of network automation. So what it is, what are the prerequisites, why should you use it, uh, some use cases from data center. I, I did one on automating security on automating IPv6 deployments and so on. Uh, then we did something on tools. So what are the open source tools that you could use in network automation and why they're like, what are the monitoring tools you could use, syslogging tools, you know, all that stuff. And uh, then I spent a lot of time doing a course on Ansible because uh, what you have out there is either too low level I and mean, too easy they show you the basics and let's move on and do something else or it's not focused on network automation so we did a lot of that and i still felt when i was running the workshops that we we're missing something and we were missing the big picture and that's what we try to do in the automation course so 
the webinars are, you know, technology focused or their introductory stuff. And there is this uh, Ansible technology slash tool focused thingy. But the course is different because in the course, I don't care what you use. You could use Ansible, you can use Python, you can use Salt or Chef or Puppet or whatever, Pigeons. <laughs> but uh, it's important that as you go through the course, you realize uh, what is the big picture and how you should structure your uh, network automation solution. You see, it's like the difference between a programmer writing Python code and a system architect saying, okay, we need the front end, we need the back end, we need the model view controller code, we need this framework, we need that framework, we need database, we'll use a relational database for this, we'll use Cassandra for that, you know, that yeah. type of stuff. So there we go through some easy wins. Everyone has to create a read-only report from something, and it's amazing what people do. Someone created a network topology from BGP neighbors. Someone did it from OSPF neighbors. People do all sorts of crazy reporting, like someone exported Cisco ACI setup into Excel. Oh, wow. Someone built a diagram of the multicast flooding tree in their data center. That's cool. And that's all, it, it, what, what tools were they using? Ansible or Python? Uh, yeah, it was Ansible and Python for parsing. And then they would create the file in dot format, which is the format for the open source graphing tools. And then there's the graph whiz, I think, that would draw the graph. Yeah. Then they have to create a data model for the service they want to provision because, you know, I'm big on data models and single source of truth and all that stuff. Then they have to write code that actually provisions the service and deal with things like, oh, what if the interface I want to provision is already in use? And finally, they have to add uh, things like testing, validation, logging, error handling, all that. Uh, then we have a few real-life examples, like uh, what the guys from Facebook were doing in their enterprise network. What UBS is doing, they rebuilt 20 data centers in two years, fully automated. Oh, wow. We had someone who was deploying uh, Cisco ACI services, fully automated, and a bunch of other similar use cases. And then we have additional interesting topics like event-driven automation. How do you react to changes in your network? Uh, of course, we have something debunking on intent-based networking. Another of your favorites. Yes. And I talk about network infrastructure as code, and there is one or two other things that I'm missing right now. That's okay. I don't, sorry, I'm interrupting you again. Just, just tell me if you want to continue on that train of thought. But I was going to say, it'd be good to get your feelings about OpenFlow and also you said the why of network automation. Perhaps you can give us a quick overview, you know, like why would I care as a network engineer about automation? Uh, well, uh, there are the two obvious reasons. Obvious reason number one, because you're bored typing in VLAN configuration commands all day long. Yeah. Obvious reason number two, because uh, you want to increase your market value. Well, obvious reason number three, because you want to do something sexy and creative. And building tools is better than typing in IP address, blah, subnet mask, blah. There are also good business reasons. Namely, the way we run things today is uh, not repeatable. It cannot be validated uh, because it's human driven. We're never sure where we'll end up. 
Yeah. That's why you need the maintenance windows. That's why you need the review of changes and you have to schedule everything three weeks in advance. And that makes us slow. I mean, it's like, you know, you would uh, have this banking system and the bank tellers would type in SQL transactions manually into the database. What's wrong with that? Oh, nothing. <laughs> oh, without rollback, without rollback. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like what we do. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Uh, so you have to get rid of all that if you want to, you know, make any step forward toward being more reliable, more consistent, more predictable. Uh, agile is the buzzword, obviously. Yeah. So this is how I'm trying to sell automation to managers. Yeah. No, it will not save jobs. No, it will not save you money. No, you will not need fewer people. You will need more people, but you will need different people. You will not need the VLAN jockeys anymore. But you will no need people who understand networking. You will need people who can translate that into what needs to be programmed. And you will need good programmers. Because honestly, network engineers hacking code over weekend using Google and paste approach, that scares me. You will need at least as many people as you have today. So no, the jobs are not going away, forget that. Uh, but you will be able to deploy stuff more reliably. You will be consistent. And because you will be reliable and consistent, you will be able to deploy stuff during the day, which means you don't need maintenance windows because honestly, do you have a maintenance window when a bank teller transfers money from account A to account B? No, of course not, but it's, I know what you're going, I know what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that has been done a gazillion times. It has been properly tested, so we trust it works. Yeah, exactly. We have to get to that point in networking. Yeah, very good point. So, I mean, sorry, Ivan, I'm going to interrupt you again. I, I, feel, I feel really bad, but on this, um, on this topic you would, about we should learn automation, I'm going to take it back now because this is a question I get all the time. At what point? So if I'm a network engineer, and I've just done my CCNA, is that the time I should start learning about network automation? Yes. Or should I get my CCMP first and learn about network automation? Or I mean, you said yes. So I'm assuming as soon as you got your CCNA, you, you're kind of saying start learning about network automation. But uh, a few questions here. Should I do CCMP and network automation at the same time? Or... Yes. Okay. Well, so... you see, uh, it's like if you're using Word or Excel, you could be the uh, perpetual beginner and uh, manually format uh, the bolds and the uh, italics and the font size and all that. Or you could actually invest some time and learn uh, what styles are. Yeah. And then you figure out that you have to reformat a gazillion of documents and you can spend a week doing that. Or you can spend two days learning about visual basing and write a script that does the whole thing in five minutes. And then you are pretend busy for the next three days so that the boss doesn't give you extra work. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So the same thing here. I mean, of course, you have to know what you're doing. You have to understand the what's and the why's. But the moment you get to the point where you know what needs to be done, why should you type that in manually? Come on. Yeah. Why should you? I mean, how much time did you spend setting up labs? Uh, it's forever, and it's yeah. I, I, the, the amount of times that you and I have both typed router OSPF. I mean, exactly. Why should we be doing that? Yeah. Write this stupid Ansible playbook, 
that will take the template, take the loopback addresses, take the interface addresses, create a configuration for you, push that into your lab, and then you'll work on the cool stuff. Yeah. So you're saying CC, as soon as you've done a CCNA, start learning about network automation, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it should be in parallel. Yeah, okay, I'm glad you said that, so parallel. So get get the basics of networking and then start learning network automation in parallel with CCMP or CCIE or whatever, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, start learning network automation in parallel with CCNA. Oh, already at that point, okay, great. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, when do you need ISO 9001 in your organization? Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, I, I had to do it once and it was a nightmare. And if I would do it again, I would start from day one. Because what's wrong with documenting your processes? Yeah. It's like, what's wrong with automating how you set up your lab? Why should you set up the whole thing like 10 times? Yeah, very good point. Practice and typing, good. <laughs> yes. Um, and which, uh, you've kind of mentioned this already, which, is, which would you recommend guys start with? Is it Ansible or Python and why? Well, uh, the real question is, do you hate programming? Yeah. So if I know people who went into networking because they hated programming. Yeah. Honestly, they said, I don't want to be a programmer. I will not spend my whole life programming. So I would rather do networking. Yeah, that's a good point. And, uh, you know, some people have fear of spiders. Yep. Some people have fear of uh, programming. <laughs> I like that. So if you have fear of programming, start with Ansible because it doesn't look like programming. Yeah. If you're willing to invest some time, then honestly start with uh, Python, but uh, with some high-level framework like Nurnir or something like that. Because, you know, Ans I love Ansible because it solves 95% of the problem for you. Uh, it deals with inventory, it deals with devices, it deals with connecting to devices, it deals with multi-threading, it deals with all the data inheritance. So it does 95% of the work for you. Why would you want to reinvent that wheel and all the bugs that go with it? Yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, and uh, the only thing I'm aware of in Python that would be equivalent to that is Nornir, because, you know, David Barroso uh, built that because he was sick and tired of Ansible's performance, which isn't exactly great. Yeah, that's 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 a that's a great recommendation. I spoke to uh, some of the guys about uh, Nonia, and uh, it sounds mm -hmm. like a great framework. So, do you have any courses yeah, that I cover mean, that, or do you have any webinars that cover that? Oh yeah, the, David. Well, actually, it's David. I should say David. Uh, he is. Uh, now I have to be careful. He's from Spain, but I don't know whether he's Spanish or Catalan. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> we won't get into the politics. Uh, anyway, uh, I think we did a podcast with him or Nurnir, so uh, that's public. And he did uh, a guest presentation in the automation course. So there is something about Nurnir in the automation course. Uh, that's about all I have but it's enough for someone that is starting the automation course right now to do his first homework in Nornia. And you'd recommend that above NetMiko or Napalm, yeah? Uh, no, it's higher level. Okay. Okay. So NetMiko is the uh, session handling stuff. 
So you have to connect to a network device, you have to send commands, you have to receive commands. That's NetMiko or Paramiko. Yeah. Paramiko is generic SSH. NetMiko is generic SSH with network device stupidities. Well, with the vaccination against network device stupidities. And I could spend half an hour just on that. Yeah. How some people can't even do proper authentication over SSH. Yeah. Okay, so that's NetMiko. Uh, Napalm is the next level of abstraction. So with Napalm, you could say, get me the facts from those devices. And then Napalm would, using NetMiko or Paramiko, log into the device, do show blah, show blah, blah, show blah, 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 extract data and return structured data. Yep. Or you would say, well, I want to have this configuration on this device and Napalm would go, and yet again, using NetMiko or Paramiko or what have you, or REST API, whatever is available, push the configuration to the device and do configuration replace on the device. So Napalm is this second layer of abstraction on top of things like NetMiko, you know, that gives you the same API, the same data structure for uh, a number of different platforms. So you want to know the BGP neighbors, you want to know the IP addresses, the MAC addresses, the IP routing table from Cisco, Arista, Nexus OS, whatever, Juniper, and it will give you the same results. And then on top of that, you have uh, Nornir, which is really an automation framework. So it, it does the same thing as Ansible. So you would go like, hey, Nornir, could you please uh, read my inventory? And it would read the whole thing in, and it would uh, build the data structures with inheritance and group variables and host variables and all that stuff you have in Ansible. And then you could say, well, Nornir, now that you do this, you did this, could you please execute this Napalm task on all the devices in my network? And it would go into multi-threading mode and uh, run 1,000 threads uh, in Python and execute the whole thing in 1,000 devices and bring back the results. And then you would say, okay, now that I have this, let me do this report. It's an, it, yet another layer on top of things like Napalm. Very Makes similar sense? to Ansible, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's doing the same thing as Ansible. It's just pure Python, so you don't have to deal with uh, programming in YAML, which totally sucks. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And different and different Ansible versions and the problems that come with that. Oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> um, Ivan, I know we're, we're out of time. So everyone, I just want to apologize. We had some technical problems and Ivan's time is, is very limited. So Ivan, I really want to thank you for spending time with me today. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge with us. And hopefully we can have another call sometime. Oh, we definitely will. We didn't touch on SDN and OpenFlow yet. So just give me your answer, your quick, your quick answer. Should someone in 2019 learn OpenFlow? Uh, well, if you really want to program network devices on a very low level, then yes. If you want to get the job done, then maybe no. So a network engineer, you wouldn't recommend it, yeah? Well, yet again, it's it depends on uh, what you want to do. If we go back to like programming, you want to write Python programs, OpenFlow is not for you. You, run to, you want to write high performance C programs mixed with assembly code? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like that answer. So, Ivan, again, thanks so much. Um, uh, next time, I'm going to ask you more about OpenFlow, and we've got a long list of topics that we that we need to discuss. So, really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. Be sure to visit David's YouTube channel at David Bumble, where you can subscribe and watch all of his videos. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Catch you next time on the David Bumble Networking Podcast. All the best. Take care.